Make money online. I'm at the bottom rung of the client ladder and I'm, I'm looking up and it's very daunting. What do you mean by that? I'm trying to fill in all the, the, the problem areas in my ladder. Um, and I've, I did like the top. I like build, it's like building the roof of the house before you build the bottom of the house, which normally doesn't happen, right? And just to be clear, the product ladder is a series of interrelated products and services that you offer that orient around a specific client and a specific expensive problem that they have. So they have to reflect a specific positioning statement. You generally one-to-one map a, cl- a product ladder to a positioning statement. So what does this look like in practice? Brennan Dunn has uh, a book for freelancers called Double Your Freelancing Rate. It costs, I think, like 100, 120, something like that. He has, uh, below that, he has a mailing list that you can sign up for free. He has free courses. He has all sorts of things. They're for freelancers. They help you double your rate. After you've read Double Your Freelancing Rate, he has another thing for freelancers. It's called Double Your Freelancing Clients. It's a course. It helps you generate leads for freelancers who need more revenue. Um, after that, you can take, I think he's got like a masterclass or like one-off consulting stuff and coaching stuff. He does all sorts of things. There's a conference in the middle of that somewhere, right? And basically, you have a series of products and services that are oriented at different price points, Right. They're all oriented around a laser focus on the specific problem that this person is feeling. Now, let's look at draft revise. I have draft revise and I have revise express. Re- revise express clients sometimes turn into draft revise clients, and I put that money towards your first fee, and it's great. But I have no book. I have no. I have no cheap or free offering around it. I don't there's have no a door in. No, there's no door in. The door in is give me nine thousand dollars, which is like. It's a pretty high barrier. You have to have a very sturdy and and like solidly built trampoline in order to get up to that level on the ladder, right? Um, but there's no free offering. There's no like, come in here, dear reader. It's forbidding. That's what it is. It's it's this very standoffish scenario, and I hate it. I need to write a book about A-B testing at some point. Um, I have three years of experience doing it for draft revised clients, and I've just completely missed the ball on it. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, part of the reason I see having a book... So when we think about product ladders, one thing I want to mention is the value in having a product ladder and different services available at different price points for the same audience, solving the same problem is people have different amounts of cash at their disposal. Somebody might show up and say, I only have $50, but I need to become better at A-B testing. Great, here is a book that will teach you, you know, how to self-audit for an A-B test and uh, which tools you should use and a quick primer on how to get started. That's enough to solve their problem, take their money, and they'll be like, great, I got value. Somebody might show up with $9,000 and be like, I need A-B testing, but my time is the most valuable asset to me. I don't want to have to do this myself. Great. So if you only had the book, they'd buy the book, but be like, yeah, I still need somebody to implement this. And if you only have the $9,000 service offering, some people will buy it, but there'll be a ton of people who'll be like, yeah, I, I don't trust you enough, Nick. You're a wonderful man. I'd love to have coffee with you, but I don't trust you enough to hand you $9,000 sight unseen. Do you have like some evidence of this, some thing I could do or give a more affordable offering because I can't afford the $9,000 offering? That's where the book comes in. And when we extend that out in both directions, we see the value in having some free offerings, you know, a a cheat sheet, a downloadable, an email course, some low price offerings, a book, 
and some medium price offerings, maybe a road mapping session, maybe an initial teardown and some high price offerings. I will do A-B testing for you for a monthly fee. And people are able to pick whichever spot makes the most sense for them today. And there's a clear path forward for them as their business grows and suddenly they have more capital available and they're more willing to spend that capital on you. Yeah, absolutely. I want to be clear about this. The first rung in a product ladder should almost always, I can't even imagine a scenario where it wouldn't be educational. It should teach the person. And they can either take that and go off and do it themselves, but more likely, it's a portfolio piece. They're reading that to prove that you're legitimate. And so that that's enough. You should re- you realize it's like the difference between selling a cookbook and going to the restaurant, right? So I've, I own the Alinea cookbook and I've been to the Alinea restaurant. And let me tell you, I read the Alinea cookbook. It's the best food porn I've seen in my entire life. And everything is five days of preparation. So I'm looking at this just like, oh my God, but these people over here in Armitage Halstead are doing this. And so I'm going to take the bus over there and eat my $400 meal. <laughs> like they sold, they sold the, what, $50 cookbook, and it laddered up to the $400 meal. Maybe next time it'll ladder up to the $5,000 bottle of wine. Who knows? <laughs> but, it, but it provides an easy, I, I love using the metaphor of a door here, but it provides an easy door into the service or the offerings or the best ways to work together. And for somebody with a linea, it might be, the best way for me to work together is to buy your cookbook and, you know, enjoy reading it or to try to cook something. For other people, it might be like, oh, I'm going to buy the cookbook. If I'm going in for a $400 meal, what's a $50 or $100 cookbook really account to? Oh, cool. I could see they know their stuff. I really want to eat here. Uh, my, my parents are the same way with this really uh, well-known vegetarian restaurant. And I think the Bay Area Greens, uh, they have every single Greens cookbook. And every single time we visited the Bay Area, we've eaten at Greens. And it's been consistently the best vegetarian meals of my life. And the cookbook provides that entrance in and that reinforcement and oh, hey, we're in San Francisco. You know what we should do? We should eat at Greens. Uh, And the same thing applies to my business. I have two books focused on outreach, uh, the Outreach Blueprint and the Traffic Manual, which I'm renaming Podcast Outreach. And both of those are really focused on like, hey, here's how to get started with outreach. And people frequently show up, say like, oh, I'm interested in your stuff. I like your free articles. I like your newsletter. The next step, the next obvious step for me I'm going to buy your book on outreach. And I'll get emails from potential clients and they'll say like, hey, I read your outreach book. This is exactly what we're looking for. It's given me enough to start asking questions. Let's schedule a meeting to see if we'll work well together. And it just like we talk about putting speed bumps or roadblocks in place to prevent bad clients from working with us, having a book is a nice way to get past those same safeguards that a client puts in place. When you publish a book on a topic and the client buys it, you aren't going to be hit up with like, well, are you good at this? Have you worked on something like this, they're going to say, oh, I literally read the book you wrote about solving this problem for businesses like mine. How can you help me? It changes the tone and tenor of that conversation dramatically. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to continue torturing the food metaphor. Why do Mm -hmm. people favor celebrity chefs? Why do people go out to restaurants that are run by celebrity chefs? It's not like they need the business, right? You're not helping a mom and pop shop. Why do they go to celebrity chefs? I, I think it's because you already know them for better or worse. Yeah. They're a safe bet. 
That's mm-hmm. what it is. People love safe bets. They love it in food. They love it in client services. They love it in your consulting engagements. And when they read a 40,000 word book about A-B testing and they say, wow, this guy is legit. He really knows everything there is to know about A-B testing. That makes me a safe bet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this Entirely. is this is very much a do as I say, not as I do scenario right now because I'm doing an atrocious job of it and I need to write this book. But there's a just tremendous business incentive for me to do this and to fill out every rung of that product ladder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd say like the audience is listening and saying like, whoa, okay, give it, give it to me straight, guys. What should my product ladder look like? I think we've touched on it, but just to summarize it, uh, start with a freebie offering, something short, something educational, something that teaches at a high level, like five things you need to know about A-B testing or five five mistakes you're making in blah, where blah is the thing you do or the target market you work with. Uh, from there, it should level up to uh, an initial service offering, maybe a road mapping session, maybe an initial lower priced engagement where you get on the phone or go through a short workshop with them and teach them and learn from them and suddenly begin to understand what their business is like and what the ramifications of the project are. From there, I recommend leveling up to a one-off higher price service offering. Uh, the metaphor I use here is we'll want to go on a date before we get married. So before we do a multi-month engagement, let's do a larger one-off engagement and see how we work together as client and consultant. From there, a monthly retainer engagement. And you could spread those out in a lot of different ways. I have people who where the product ladder sort of goes up and grows like a cone where it's like, okay, we have one entrance point. Then there's two options from there and each of those have two options out. That's fine. The general form though of freebie offering to book to initial paid offering to larger paid offering to retainer offering is what I'm building towards and what's worked well for me and what I see working well for a lot of people out there. But it provides an entrance point at every level. Some people show up and are like, I just want to hand you money today. Solve my problem. Great. They've self-selected for the higher priced offering. Some people show up and they're like, well, I don't know you yet. I'd really like to learn. Let me buy your book or let me sign up for your email course and then to buy your book. And they're able to come in the door and be brainwashed by my worldview. Why outreach is important. Why relationship building is important. Why you need to focus on these things. And that makes them more likely to work with me down the line. Some people will read a couple of my emails and unsubscribe. Great. Happy to not clutter their inbox. Some people will read a few emails and reply back and be like, I I want to learn more. What's best next step? And I'll say, I wrote two books on this. Please pick which one you'd like more. Use this discount code and you'll save 20%. And they've moved forward in the product ladder. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if I'd necessarily try to brainwash people, but it's definitely a, it's very similar otherwise. You know, uh, you want to, you want to sweeten the deal with some sort of free offering, like a free chapter from your upcoming book or a how-to guide or a checklist or a, you know, seven steps to X type thing. Um, All of those are tremendously valuable and they're very easy to make. You probably follow these procedures in some capacity in your business. Let me ask you, you know, if, are you a developer? What are the seven things you look for about code smell, right? When you go in as, as a consultant and you try and figure out, like, am I working with a disaster? Or do these people actually know how to program? What do you do? You probably have a checklist in place for it. And you're just, just articulate that. What about your point of view makes you feel not understood, What are you hurting about? What makes you think like if only clients would do X, then they would get better results? Write about that. Write about that in 500 words, edit it down to a shine, and you have the beginning of your freebie offering. 
because then you're not only having a point of view, but it's comparatively unique, or at least you think it's unique. So that's enough to get the ego hit from it. And you're able to begin articulating from that ground, right? And I know that a lot of people are probably listening to this and being like, but they don't understand. The world is insane. It's on you to fix it. <laughs> it's true. It is. It is. And people fucking don't. They don't. Yeah. And it... I mean, that horrifies me for one, but I started thinking about this like, wow, I'm getting burned a lot as a designer. Boo hoo. You're the problem. Fix it. So, so we flash back two years in my business and I was writing a lot of proposals. This was right when I switched to the productized consulting method. And uh, a week happened where I wrote five separate proposals. I was up till 11 every night. They were, they were good proposals and every single one of them was rejected. And I'm like, why the fuck did I spend so much time writing these proposals? And I realized it's because, well, my product ladder was show up and Kai writes a proposal for you. And I'm like, this is bullshit. I need something better here. And so at the time, I basically had two service offerings, a website x-ray, I'll look at your SEO and tell you what you need to fix and an outreach package where I'll go out and do outreach and relationship building for you and we'll get links and build relationships. And there was no feeder into there. So I was like, okay, fuck it. I'm putting a wall in place. People show up and they go through a road mapping session with me. That is the only way to work with me. And so I put that there. So when somebody shows up, they'd say, hey, we want to work with you. Write a proposal. And I'm like, eh, it doesn't quite work that way anymore. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a road mapping session. Read about it here. Here's a welcome packet. This is the cost. We could get started. And so suddenly it, it, I had the prototype of a product ladder. It might only be two rungs long, but people show up at one point and move forward to the next point. From there, I wrote a book. And now people show up and like, how do we get started? And I'm like, I wrote a book. You should read the book. Here's a link to the book. Go buy the book. And they could come in the door that way. I'm working on a free email course right now focused on outreach. So when somebody shows up, it's not $50 for the book. It's, hey, Kai has a free five-part course on outreach and what we need to do for outreach. Great. Let's start there. And with each new rung I've added to the ladder, I've protected myself from bad clients. They have to go through a lot of different steps to work with me now. And I've provided more value for people who show up who aren't necessarily the right fit for the larger tier offerings. There's options for them that weren't available before. I'm sure there's hundreds of people out there who'd be like, Kai's writing a free course on outreach. I want to throw my email address at him. But because I haven't made that available to the market, there's no way for them to buy it. There's no way for them to engage with it. So by filling in that rung, I'm suddenly providing more value to people out there. And some of those people are going to refer people to me. Some of those people are going to move up the product ladder or through the product orbit to my higher level services and start uh, uh, paying me more money. Next question. How we're, we're talking a lot about the bottom. Um, and, and I think this is very valuable. What's next? What's next up the ladder? What I've always done and the way I've approached it in my business is use my engagement with clients to discover more expensive problems that they're experiencing or in sort of the 30 by 500 methodology, figure out other solutions to the same problem that people are experiencing. So if somebody hires me for an outreach engagement, well, what else does that reveal? So and recently with a number of clients, We've been chatting and been doing like outreach focused around podcasts and we realized, well, hey, there's a lot of value here in doing the same outreach thing, but what if we focus it on joint venture webinars? And what if we set up these opportunities to promote it to a new audience? And so by having conversations with clients, I discovered there's, an, there's 
a deeper area of the expensive problem we could work in there and that would provide a lot of value to them. And so by having these conversations, I'm able to build out new service offerings targeting the problems that my existing clients are experiencing. And if I want to work with more people like my existing clients, chances are down the line, new clients who come in are going to have those same or similar problems. So with all of my offerings, it actually started with the website X-Ray, the SEO teardown, and I realized, oh, this is too big of an offering. Let me split this into a couple different offerings and position them at different levels. And so somebody comes in and is like, hey, I need help with SEO. Okay, we've tackled on-site SEO. Oh, we need help with link building. Let's do a link building blueprint to find out strategies. Let's do a link building engagement to earn those links. Let's do an outreach engagement to build relationships with people who will return the favor with links to us. So I really focus on understanding the expensive problem a client is experiencing and figuring out different solutions to that singular expensive problem and then figuring out where those expense where those solutions lie on a price spectrum. Some might be $50 things, it's an ebook. Some might be $5,000 things, it's a one-off consulting engagement. Some might be $20,000 yeah. things, we're going to go through a proposal for this and it's going to be a long process. Yeah. So my thing is I love having like maybe a, a ebook that's at a few tiers, something like that. So maybe it's a, mm -hmm. a $50 ebook and then a, um, maybe like a $150 where I add a lot of interviews and worksheets and stuff like that. And then a higher value offering where I'd like record a video course or something like that, $500. Maybe then I'm doing like a teardown or heuristic valuation or a strategy guide or something like that for you bespoke for like... $900,000, something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then higher up the end, you may be ending with like a retainer engagement, like $1,500, $2,000 a month, something like that, where I run A-B tests for you or provide a design strategy. You get access to me during the day. We maybe do a workshop together, something like that. Um, and then add a zero and maybe add two zeros for like the really big stuff. Um, mm -hmm. One-off consulting engagements that tend to be more bespoke to your needs. Maybe an involved research process. Um where I call your customers and like do active recruitment and stuff like that. Big, big ticket, time consuming, but highly value generating activities for you and your business. Yeah. So doing all of those things and ensuring that we're staying focused on, you know, again, the exact same client I'm pitching to the same person. Um, mm -hmm. There should be no distinction in audience between any of these offerings if we're doing it perfectly. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Whenever I've split my audience or even to a lesser extent split the expensive problem I'm focused on solving, it's led to dissonance within my business, confusion on my part, since I'm not sure who I'm talking to, and confusion on my customer's part, since, well, is he working with us or some other type of client? What's going on here? And it's something I'm in the process of fixing and honing in on a more specific audience. But yeah, it's incredibly effective and incredibly important to just be thinking about a singular target market, a singular person. In Sean DeSouza's word, uh, you have an idea of the buyer and you're writing the sales page and making the offering for that buyer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. It helps you develop a sense of, of report with them. You know, you actually, you'll understand their needs. You won't just think, oh, I want to work with a great company. Well, who are you talking to? Are you just talking to all businesses? How's that going to go for you? So finding that niche, I think, is very important. Mm -hmm. You touched on one example of a service that I wanted to echo back to that I think is really valuable, sort of a, a boutique strategy engagement where it's like the custom ebook. Uh, uh, I think that's incredibly valuable for consultants to have as a productized offering or as just an offering they make available to clients where it's not, I'm going to go do 
this engagement for you, but it's not, hey, this is off the shelf information. It's a blending of the two. Maybe you go through a research workshop, you put together some deliverable. It's a BD deliverable, and maybe it draws on a lot of existing information you already have, but it's presented to the client as like, hey, I've taken some off the shelf information I've had, research we've done, conversations we've had, and put together something unique for your business that you could use as a strategy plan. I sell things like this as a digital outreach plans for $1,000, and clients are really receptive to them because it gives them a strategic path forward that they could begin implementing on and answers their questions of like, what do I need to be concerned with? What's my timeline? What's my roadmap look like? And it gives them enough to get started, but at a lower price point than retaining me to do it for them. And I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that you could leverage in the sense of, well, if you're, in my case, like I'm writing about outreach, so I'll write about the different tools and strategies you could use for outreach. That's gonna be 90% the same between clients, but still provides the same amount of value to each client who receives that report. So even though some portion of this report is repeated information, it's still valuable for everybody that reads it. The rest of the report is unique to that client's business. This is how this strategy impacts your specific positioning and your specific products, and from there, it provides a dump truck load of value. But by having this sort of boutique one-off, I will write the guide for you, I will write the ebook specific to your business, it could be a nice higher value offering that builds trusts, serves as a level up into a retainer engagement where you're enacting the plan, but also makes people feel more comfortable because, okay, great, it's a lower priced engagement and the first step is we're defining the strategy. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and also, you can take those reports that are bespoke for people and anonymize the content and make them an ebook. Mm-hmm. Strong mm-hmm. recommendation in favor of that. All that generic content that you're rewriting for everybody, stamp that out and make a cheap ebook from it. Yep. People aren't buying the generic content from you, they're buying the bespoke stuff. I don't know anyone of all several dozen Revised Express reports that I've written in my career. Nobody talks about the like A-B testing how-to guide in there. They're like, oh, I'm very grateful for the A-B testing how-to guide. They immediately zoom into the stuff where I'm ripping apart their business and go feral on it because they have to. It's about their business. It's the reason they're coming in the door and it's the reason I'm providing value. It's the source of that value. Uh, One thing I wanted to bring up just as kind of a side point, which we could make a whole separate episode about this, but Kai, have you ever like thought about your own writing skills and thought like, man, I regretted putting all that time and effort into becoming a good writer. Like that was a waste of my time and I'll never do it again. My number one regret right now in life is I ended up getting an econ degree instead of a creative writing degree. If that answers the question, I in no way regret the time I put into my writing skills. I wish I had spent more time writing 10, 15 years ago. And uh, yeah, it's it's paid off dramatically since all I do is make words. I make words on sales pages. I make words in ebooks. I make words in client reports. I make words in emails. Uh, I am very grateful for the writing skills I have, and I am constantly seeking to improve those skills. I minored at English in college. I should have I should have majored in English in college. I wish I had a better grasp of writing and I know everyone, everyone who's been on my mailing list, everyone who's read Cadence and Slang, everyone who's about to get their minds blown by draft evidence is listening to this podcast. Like Nick, do you already have like one of the most distinct voices and one of the best writing styles of anybody on the internet? You're probably, or maybe you don't think that maybe you disagree, but I get that a lot and you're all like, but there's room for improvement all the time all the time. You fix problems with your writing and then more problems reveal themselves. This is the same thing with business. And 
everything about my business success, everything, 100% of it has been because I'm a good writer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And all of this product ladder stuff we're talking about, what's the first thing you got to do? Make a freebie offering and write about it. What's the next thing you got to do? Make an ebook and write it. What's the next thing you got to do? Make a report and write it. I spend six hours a day writing and maybe an hour and a half on podcast interviews or like client calls and stuff like that. And then maybe, you know, 15 minutes actually designing. Mm -hmm. That's my day. Mm -hmm. I do. I am a writer for a living. I call myself a designer and writer at conferences, but I'm, I'm a writer for a living. And so, yeah, if you're looking at all of this and th- and being horrified at it, the reason I'm saying all of this, by William Zinser's On Writing Well, Strunk and White's The Elements of Style, um, if you want to know how to make an excellently designed proposal by Robert Bringhurst's The Elements of Typographic Style, and read them. They are classic works that will teach you to be a better writer. Turn a more critical eye to the things that you do, and... And don't be afraid, because I started somewhere, Kai started somewhere. We all, someday I'm going to send out one of my mailing lists as like one of my very first installments of my letters as a letter, just again, like three and a half, four years later, and see if everyone's horrified by it. (laughs) I'm going to do that. I have one in mind, and it's about QA processes. And I'm just going to send it out wholesale on modified and see what happens. Because it's garbage. <laughs> it's hot garbage. <laughs> but, it, but and like, I, I'd say it's hot garbage, but don't let, dear listener, don't let the fact that your first thing might be hot garbage dissuade you from publishing and sharing and getting it out there. My first sales page was a steaming abomination. My first uh, report was a steaming abomination, but it was good enough to move me forward. It was good enough to satisfy the client and let me see, okay, here's three things I could do better next time. And then the next time I figured out three more things I could do better. And I slowly leveled up over a few years to getting to a slightly better point. And it's the same position now. Every time I finish a project, I'm like, okay, cool. I identified three things I can do better. Now let's go do them. And like, that's how you really get better at something. You don't show up and you're magically good at table tennis or weightlifting. You show up and you lift a heavy weight and you fail and you drop the heavy weight on the floor and it makes a clanging sound. But at least you're trying. At least you're showing up and putting in the work and getting better. And that I think is the important part when it comes to writing and when it comes to developing these productized services or your product ladder as a consultant, figuring out where the holes are, where the problems are, where you need to improve, and then working on improving it. And the first solution you jam in there might not be the best solution possible, but at least it exists as a stopgap. And you could always work on it, iterate on it, and refine it to get to be something better. You and I had a conversation a few weeks ago about uh, one of your offerings and like, oh, does it fit best as a precursor or does it fit best after this offer? And you have a vision for it that's different than how it's currently positioned. But that makes sense because you've shipped that offering more than a dozen times, a couple dozen times, and you're able to say, oh, this is how it best provides value. This is where it should fit in my product ladder. I mean, you know that joke, right? Like you, you and I are in Midtown Manhattan. I walk up to you and I ask you, how do I get to Carnegie Hall? Do you know this joke? I, I, I or vaguely remember it. Um, practice, practice, practice. <laughs> that is how you get to Carnegie Hall. <laughs> right? But it's true. It's yeah. true. I sucked as a consultant for years. 
and you're just going to turn out garbage for a while. Like, make the clackety noise. That's it. That's it. There's a on the info product side. There's this great example that I love sharing. Uh, Ramit Sethi owns I Will Teach You to Be Rich. It is a very very successful business. It is making him a lot of money. Ramit's first product. He, he, Ramit sells courses that range between five hundred and I think fifteen thousand dollars. Like we're talking serious big boy money here for a single seat. And his first product was Ramit's two thousand and seven guide to kicking ass. It was a seven dollar ebook and. Uh, he's written about it and spoken about it before, and he's like, it was, it was so dumb. Uh, it was $7. Well, I had no idea how to put value on it. Why did I call it 2007? As soon as the year hit 2008, suddenly it was obsolete. I thought I'd write a new one every year. Why didn't I make it evergreen? But he started from a position of just shipping something, and it wasn't the best thing possible. And there were a ton of problems with it, but he shipped it, and people bought it, and he continued moving forward. And now the man's selling $15,000 courses. Like, you start somewhere and you level up. Practice, practice practice, practice. People look up to us for some horrifying reason that we are moderately successful business consultants. And like, man, if you learn one thing from all of the episodes of this podcast, I hope it's that we're just flopping around freaking out like everyone else. Like, there's nothing special about it. You just refine your voice and practice, practice, practice. That's it. There's no other secret. That's it. It's showing up and it's doing the work and it's being okay with where you are and it's figuring out where you could sort of move forward. What new things, what new lines of service can you add on to your business? Uh, uh, I mean, I think let's continue referencing him on, on every episode. Uh, our friend Brennan Dunn just released a new course, uh, uh, Mastering Project Roadmaps. And he came up with a project idea because he saw so many of his students starting to use roadmaps in their consulting offerings. And he was like, okay, this is something that I know well that I could teach that there's demand for. Let me make the product. And he expanded his product offerings by one iteration, by understanding what people are looking for, by seeing there was a hole, a hole he might not have been able to identify a year, two or three years ago, and creating a product that satisfied that need. And it's the same side on consulting offerings. You could look and say like, oh, wow, there's a sudden jump here where I'm selling a $500 offering and the next step is a $5,000 offering. That might be a big leap for a lot of my clients. What's something in the middle that both is highly leveraged for me so I make a good rate doing it, but highly valuable for the client? So they're like, oh wow, yeah, the $500 project went great. Let's do the $2,500 project. And then let's do the $5,000 project. So looking and seeing where those holes or those problems are. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Doing all of that, yeah. You brought up the question before the call, how to upsell people effectively on product offerings. And uh, what I've found to be the most successful is a combination of two things. When somebody approaches me to work together, I offer them a choice of yeses. So typically, let's say it's unwashed masses emailing me and they're like, hey, we want to work together. And I'm like, great, here's three options. We could do a paid call. It'll be $300 for a paid call. You get to ask me anything for an hour. And at the end, you'll have you know strategic advice on how to grow your business. We could do a road mapping workshop or a marketing growth workshop, as I call them now, where we do a 90-minute workshop. We talk about your business. We identify the opportunities. And at the end, you get a written report. Or we could do a digital outreach plan, which is the same thing as a marketing growth workshop, but focused entirely on outreach. Which of these makes sense for you? They're at different price points, so the client is able to pick the one they have the budget for, but they're also slightly different service offerings. So the client is able to say like, oh, this one satisfies my need the most. And that gives me an indication of where the client wants to head. On the back side of those service offerings, whenever I deliver that report, 
if I want to continue working with that client, if I have capacity or if we had a good relationship together, I'll say, great. At the, at the end of the report, I'll say something like, great, it was so exciting to work together. In terms of next steps, here are the three best options for you. Option A, paragraph describing it. Option B, paragraph describing it. Option C, paragraph describing it. Here are the prices. Uh, I'll follow up with you in a week to make sure this report answers all of your questions, and we can decide on the best next step for your business then. So. Instead of the client saying like, I'd love to work with Kai, we better figure out how, I'm coming to the table saying, here are three options for us to continue working together. I've narrowed the scope of like, what can Kai do for us? It could be anything, let's imagineer it to, hey great, here are three things Kai Davis can do to help your business grow. Which option would you like to move forward with? It makes it so much easier for a client to pick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You wanna give them as many options as possible while still, you know, setting boundaries like they need to be options that you're comfortable with right it's not just mm -hmm. like oh tap dance with a monkey on my head for 50 bucks you know mm -hmm. that's no you need to do stuff that you actually like doing unless you like doing that in which case godspeed um <laughs> i haven't tried we it could be great <laughs> and i i found a lot i often run into consultants uh who say well I'm afraid of productized consulting because it limits what I'll be able to do for my client. I'm just doing, you know, A, I'm, I'm a black box, money comes in, something comes out. Or I'm afraid of positioning because it limits what I'm able to do if I'm only focused on a specific audience or a specific expensive problem. From my own experience, what I've discovered is after an initial engagement with a client, you have such a deeper knowledge of their business that there's an opportunity to test out a new line of service then and there. I've had a recent client where we worked on an engagement together. At the end, they said like, oh, we really need some help with like X. And I'm like, hey, that's not something I've tackled before, but I have a lot of knowledge on how to tackle it. I'd love to add that as a line of service. Here's what it will cost for us to prototype it together. It'll be a discovery process. Here's a general outline. Uh, we'll go through it. We'll talk. We'll communicate with each other and figure out along the way, what needs to change to make it a better fit, but does this seem like something you'd be interested in? And if it's solving an expensive problem they're already experiencing, chances are they'll be willing to go for it. And if it's an ability for me to test out a new line of service that I wouldn't have thought of before, or wouldn't be advertising on the front end, but would love to have on the back end of my business, it's a perfect match because now I understand the client's business and I could effectively propose a solution that minimizes my risk and lets me say like, okay, great, here are, you know, here's an option on how we could work together. It's new, but I benefit by seeing like, oh, this is what the SOP will be like to do something like this. And they benefit from having an expensive problem solved. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <sighs> so one last thing. This is running. This is a longer make money online episode. You're going to make a lot of money online with this one. Um, <laughs> I said before that, that product ladders typically map one-to-one -one with positioning statements. You have a positioning statement. You have a product ladder that corresponds to the positioning statement. I'm very, and again, this is very much a do as I say, not as I do scenario. I'm unfond of encouraging people to create a second product ladder. I think that people create second product ladders because they're, um, frankly, because they're scared. Uh, they, they do it by creating another discrete positioning statement and they get the fear from having this one positioning statement. And so they work that out by being like, well, I can also do this thing. And uh, so I have coaching and I have the design stuff. What ends up happening is I get two completely different sets of customers with completely different sets of problems. And, um, and I'm speaking in completely different ways to them. And that sucks. It sucks. 
So my recommendation before we even get into this is don't make a second product ladder. That is, you need to go to your therapist and talk to them about how you are afraid of your own positioning. Because that's you're acting out your fear of your positioning by trying to create a second product ladder. Full stop. I don't believe it. In, I don't believe there are any exceptions to that. Um, that said, if you want to create a second product ladder that fulfills the goals of your original positioning, what does that look like? Like another book? Like another... Is it another problem? I don't know. Like, I, I, is it possible? Because then you just are solving the same problem in a different way. Like, what do you think, man? I think solving the same problem in a different way is a very viable strategy. It's something that Amy Hoy recommends in 30 by 500. When you've identified the problem that a target market experiences, well, she she advocates people going through a process called fix storming, where it's saying like, okay, I've identified this problem. What are 30 different ways I could solve this problem? And I think that could be really effective because it lets you identify different solutions at different price points. So you might have identified, let's say, A-B testing as the expensive problem. Well, you could have a book, you could have a course, you could have a masterclass, you could have a coaching program, you could have a do-it-yourself version, you could have it, you could have a I'll do it for you, you could have a series of videos, you could have, you could develop a software as a service application to help with A-B testing. So I think that there's value in identifying different fixes for the same problem, but there's no, there's a lot of risk when you split your positioning to focus on a separate problem or a separate target audience exclusively. I've started saying that the word and or or in a positioning statement is sort of a death tone for your business because all it does is confuse your customers and confuse you on your marketing. So if my marketing says, I help consultants and software as a service product owners, do blah. Well, the chances of the overlap and the expensive problem in those two target markets is very, very low. So suddenly I'm automatically focusing on two separate expensive problems. I'm talking to two separate audiences. It gets, it gets messy and difficult. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just not worth the time. Like from a business standpoint, you should be doing everything in your power to maximize your efficiency and not be distracted by stuff. And there's no more bigger distraction than making a whole other business. I don't know. I hear of people that are like, oh, I bought another business and now I have five. I'm like, what <laughs> do you, do you need to sell four of them? <laughs> oh, are you okay? On several levels, are you okay? And and I look at that and think like, I'm busy enough running the one business, man, and, and staying laser focused on that. You're probably fifth assing all five of the businesses. How do you complete ass all five businesses? Are, do you have a time machine? Are you a superhuman? Do you drink Soylent? Is that <laughs> what is the secret? I have not found it. I'm <laughs> I'm mystified. And that's effectively what you're doing when you create a whole new product ladder. Like find ways to bolster the existing product ladder in your existing positioning. Is the existing positioning not working for you? Great. Try and wind down the previous positioning while creating the new product ladder. But you've got to have full bore clarity about it. You can't just be like, oh, this would be cool. This is fun. No, you have to be you have to be like, I'm doing this. Here's why. 
the other thing is, you know, I'm out, I'm going to be doing this and that's how it's going to be. And, but like, there's no other, you measure twice cut once on a new product ladder. Otherwise you're gonna have a rickety ass ladder and that's not my fault, man. I sort of cheat on this and I have three separate businesses running off of the same product ladder. And for people who are saying like, well, for people who are looking for an exception to this rule, I just want to share my business as a case study and how it works and how it doesn't work. So right now I have Double Your Audience, which is my outreach-focused agency. I have Double Your E-commerce, which is outreach for e-commerce companies running on, Shop on Shopify. And I have Eugene SEO, which is a local SEO agency for businesses in Eugene, Oregon, which happens to be where I live. Come say hi. It's beautiful. So those are really three really, really separate businesses, three really separate target markets. But in each business, I'm actually just selling the same services. Eugene SEO, all it does is sell SEO road shops or workshops where we show up for 90 minutes and talk about your business and I put together a strategic plan. And then SEO optimization for your website. That is it. That is a product ladder. Those happen to be two exact same things that I sell at Double Your E-commerce and Double Your Audience. And between Double Your E-commerce and Double Your Audience, they sell the exact same services. Show up, uh, free course, marketing workshop, uh, buy one of my books, uh, I'll do outreach for you, or I'll put together an outreach plan. That's out of order, but those are what the services all are. And it's let me, I run into the same problems of pitching and marketing to three separate audiences, but I'm, like we mentioned, in the process of consolidating down to a single audience there. In the meantime, by selling the same products under these sort of three different brandings or these three different business names, it's made it easy for me to do fulfillment. So when somebody shows up and is like, hey, I'm a Eugene business, I need some help with SEO. I'm like, great, it's not starting over from square zero. I already have an SOP that defines all of this that I've been doing for e-commerce businesses or businesses that come through your audience. It's very easy for me to change the 5% necessary and have it work for a local SEO or a local business that needs help with SEO. So that's one sort of way to cheat your way through it, but I will say I'm not focusing on marketing W e-commerce or Eugene SEO at all because I know that as soon as I start focusing my marketing attention there, I won't be focused on W audience. And W audience is the most successful of the three businesses. So the other two really exist just to catch people who are searching Eugene SEO and Eugene or have heard me on a podcast talking about e-commerce and show up there. And they serve as a door into the business where I'm selling them on the same product ladder, but it's slightly different positioning. Am I, am I explaining that well? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a matter of just kind of pruning it and tending it and figuring out strategies for like making it kind of continue on, you know? Like it's... While, you know, we talk a lot about how easy it is to switch positionings, like, don't do it lightly. That's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. I th I think that we're done with products. I think we reached the top. We're on the roof now. We're going to dive <laughs> into the pit of gold coins. It's going to hurt real bad because you should never do that. That's That was a cartoon, okay? That's not what you should actually do. I thought it was a documentary. It's a mockumentary. Oh. Uh, but yeah, I mean, product ladders are really valuable for consultants because consultants are anybody who's selling something because you're taking, you're taking the need to ask questions away from the people who want to work with you. They don't show up and say, great, how can you help me? They show up and say, oh, great, this is how you could help me. I want to start here. And 
Product ladders are really effective at helping you build out your business and offer higher value offerings. Uh, Alan Weiss refers to these as accelerant curves. So we think about like the leverage you could have in an offering. Well, if you're selling an hour of your time for $100, you can make $100 per hour. Congratulations. But if suddenly you decide like, well, what if I run a workshop? It's a two-hour workshop and I charge $100 a head and I get 10 people, we're going to make you know, $1,000 in two hours, and suddenly you're making $500 an hour. And that could become another entry on your product ladder or your accelerant curve or your product orbit. So by starting to view how your different offerings connect together, you could start to identify your most profitable offerings in terms of people buy this a lot, this is cool, or wow, when people buy this, I make a shit ton of money because it's really, really highly leveraged, that's cool, and figure out what direction you want to optimize further in. Do you want to sell more of your things? Great, double down in one direction. Do you want to sell some things that make you more money in an effective hourly rate, great, double down in that direction. But just by taking that first step and laying out what your offerings are and seeing how they connect to each other, how they feed into each other, if any of them are like weird and orphaned out there and need to be brought back in or remixed into something new, great. The first step starts from just, you know, on pen and paper or in a, a, a mind mapping tool, lay out what your different offerings are, what the flow should be between them, and how you want a client to progress. And you might suddenly say like, oh, wow, I'm asking people to show up and just hand me $500. I really should, you know slap together a $29 ebook that explains what my process is or put together a free course, a freebie offering that educates them on why they need this certain thing and then pitches them on the $500 offering. But just by taking a look, taking that time to analyze what you're offering and what you're selling, you will see if there are holes in your offerings or not, or if there's opportunities to expand your offerings. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of good mm -hmm. stuff there. Yeah. It's a good view up here, right? It's ooh, top of the ladder. Top of the ladder, nothing to do but jump into the swimming pool. Yeah. That we have. How's the weather in Chicago today? 43, high 50. That's hot. That's hot. That's swimming weather. It's weather, yeah. Go down to the swimming hole. You, you, have, a small, you have a small pool or a small pond near Chicago, if I recall correctly. It's called Lake Michigan. Yeah, I, I, I'm slightly familiar with it. 